We're going to read from the Holy Scriptures, from the letter of James, chapter 1. It's the same reading we had if you were here for worship this morning. You could find it in, if you're using a pew Bible, on page 1011, 1011. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, I'll read to verse 18. Let's give our attention to the holy and powerful word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, this is God's holy word. Let's come before him in prayer to ask for him to illumine our hearts as we consider it. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you caused all scripture to be written down for our learning. And you have spoken to us in your Son and by your words that under the powerful work of the Spirit, it may bring us life. And so we pray that as we dwell upon what you have to say to us here, that you would would indeed 
work in us, to put to death that which is earthly in us, and to shape us into the likeness of your Son. Make us people who love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, it is a joy to be able to preach God's word to you again this evening. And let me respond uh, with thanks to what Dr. Gullio has said in um, uh, kindly welcoming me here. It's been a privilege to spend a few days with you. Um, And it's a great privilege to be considering uh, these words of James. This morning we saw how uh, the whole book of James, and particularly this first page, is about how the, the undivided God makes in Christ us who are divided people whole. Sin has shattered human nature, turned us against God, and therefore against ourselves, for we are his images and designed to be his worshippers. And God's aim that he has so wonderfully achieved in Christ is to restore us. Now, this evening, we're going to, uh, we're looking at the same passage, but I'm going to particularly uh, look about the question of temptation. Uh, Verses 12 to 15 are one of the Bible's most significant passages about temptation. Uh, And actually, in a sense, uh, this this idea runs through the whole passage and the whole letter. Verse 2 uh, has, the, uh, has the, the rather surprising uh, call to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How can trial be joyful? Well, it's because uh, of the effect that under the kind and merciful work of God it can have on us. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, this is true of all the trials that we encounter uh, in uh, our lives as Christians. But James particularly wants to focus on one type of trial. It is, in fact, the same word in Greek translated in trial uh, in uh, in verse 2 and test in verse 3 and then trial again in verse 12. But in verse 13, the same word is translated tempted. The particular kind of trial which is when we find ourselves drawn to, attracted to sin. And that especially is something which, if we will respond to it, as James calls us to, gives us cause for rejoicing. Because it can lead to us being people who are perfect and complete, finished people. Those who have been, when the Lord has finished his work on us at the end of our lives or when Christ returns, those who are complete, restored and whole. So if we understand temptation and we learn to respond rightly to us, the effect, rightly to it, my apologies, uh, then the effect on us will be one which is wonderful. But if that's to be the case, we must understand what temptation is, where it comes from, 
what it reveals about ourselves, and how we therefore are to respond. Now, this sermon comes a little with a health warning, um, because it, it takes us to the heart of, uh, of what are some pretty big cultural battlegrounds uh, in the age in which God has given us to live. And James is a stern doctor, and the medicine he gives us uh, is strong medicine. But I want to encourage you to hear him and be willing to take what he prescribes. So then, when we are tempted, when we feel the desire to sin, what do we do? What do we do? I'm going to take us through it. Here is the first and uh, critical thing. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. Look down to verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So if we go to stand firm when temptation happens, then we need to know what is it we're resisting? Where does the, 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 the pull, the draw... Uh, to do what God has said is wrong in the Bible come from? And the answer is, the first and critical part of the answer is, it does not come from God. Don't ever say, God is tempting me. Now, you might think, well, why would I say that? Well, I'll come to that in a moment. But let's be clear why it is that we must never say that God is tempting us. We must never blame him. It's because of who God is. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. As I expounded this morning, God is undivided, and he is good, which means he is wholly, completely, undividedly good. There is no one part of God that can pull in a different direction to another part of God, for God has no parts. And therefore... It is inconceivable that God could draw us or entice us to do something that he himself has forbidden. God is utterly consistent and utterly consistently good. Indeed, to tempt is a sin. To draw another person to do evil is itself an act of evil. And therefore, the good, the holy, perfectly good God could never do such a thing. So it is not God who is luring and enticing you and me to sin when we feel temptation. We'll come to who it is in a moment. But there is a real danger that we will blame God. And indeed, uh, I want us to see that in some ways this is our most natural reaction to temptation. Let me spell out some of the ways in which we do it, in which we do say, I'm being tempted by God. We say things to ourselves like, this is God's fault So although I won't give in, I'm going to be angry with him. Now, why would I think that temptation is God's fault? Well, it it kind of goes like this. 
How dare God make this so difficult for me? He put me into the situation where I lost my temper. It was too hard for me. Why couldn't he make it easier? Why would he design things so that it's so hard to do what is right? It is God's fault, and I resent him for having tempted me in this way. Now, this stems from a deep misunderstanding of how God rules his world. God is in control of all situations. But it is never the case that it was God who made a situation too hard for me. Rather, it was me who lured and enticed me to break his own commandments. It was me that did that. It wasn't him. But so often, we respond to temptation by feeling resentful that he made it so difficult. Here's another version of it. We think to ourselves, it's God's fault, so I can give in to this temptation and I can just shift the blame to him. It's a step further than the last one, if you like. Now, I think we, we do this all the time as well. It's rather like... Um, uh, but I, I occasionally have a problem with an expanding waistline. And my default uh, response to that is to blame my wife. It's her fault for making such nice food. There was nothing I could do. She can't blame me if, you know, she made it impossible not to eat the delicious cake or the fantastic curry. We eat curry a lot in England. Uh, that she made, or whatever it was, it's her fault that I am getting fatter. Now, it's funny, isn't it, when we think of it with uh, cake or curry, but it is horribly ugly in real life, and we do this all the time. I couldn't help it if the girl was so attractive. I couldn't help drinking so much because everyone around me was doing it. It wasn't my fault that I lashed out because he made me so angry. It was God who put me in this situation, and so it's his fault that I sinned. Have you not done that? Allowed yourself to think that? And we say to ourselves, I'm being tempted by God. Here's a third way in which we do this. I think this is a a kind of further step. Since God made me, with a desire to do this, not only is it his fault, but actually it can't be bad after all. That the, the, the pull that I feel to do this thing that I know, according to God's word, is sinful, uh, is a pull that God must have put inside me. He designed me this way, so actually it can't really be wrong. Now this is... I think, everywhere in the world in which we live. God made me this way. If he made me this way, it cannot be bad. And I think I want to say that as a culture, we have adopted this pretty much wholesale for almost anything to do with sex. It feels right for us to sleep together. 
So how could God think it was wrong? He made me want to do this. He wouldn't have made me want to do something that he thinks is wrong. And of course, this is the entire basis of LGBTQ plus thinking, which I expounded on uh, Friday nights for those who were here. The, 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 the way that it works is to think, I, I desire to act in this way. These are the attractions that I feel, the sexual feelings that I seem to me to just be here. So God must have put them here and therefore they cannot be wrong. Now, actually, I think the idea stems from outside of Christianity originally. It's much more based on the idea that, that myself really is God. And so the desires I feel are the voice of the only God who matters. And so it cannot be wrong. This is who I really am. But there is a kind of Christianized version, which has become very, very popular, very powerful in many churches. These are the sexual urges that I feel. And so God put them there. And if God put them there, it must be good. Now, what that boils down to really is the belief that if I feel it, if I desire it, that is enough to justify doing it. Even if my feelings and desires can only be satisfied by drastically poisoning and mutilating my body, well, it's God who made me with those feelings, so it can't be wrong. Now, when I put it that way, I think it's not hard to see that this idea is nonsense. It boils down to saying that wanting to do something is a sufficient reason for doing it. Because whenever I want something, well, God made me want it, and therefore it must be good. And we know that that is not true. In fact, everyone knows that that is not true. What about Harvey Weinstein? the movie producer who exploited his huge power and influence to coerce women into giving him various sexual favours. Wouldn't that be true of him? This is what he naturally wanted to do. It was the desires that he found inside himself. And if all our feelings come from God, then they must be good, must they not? But we know that that is not true. It's an evil lie. It was not God tempting him. It was his own evil desires. And then let's expand it to think about other desires. What about the desire for money? Or the desire for, for power? What about pride, which is the desire that I should always outshine other people? Or the desire to drink to excess? They're just as natural. Can we say, because I feel it, God must have put it here and therefore it must be good? We see straight through it, don't we, when other people think like that. But we fall through it ourselves. It is our most common natural reaction to temptation. It is to blame God. Either to blame him in such a way that we are angry with him or resent him or blame him in such a way that we try and claim his blessing for the desire to sin. 
Well, James is unequivocal. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, so if that is false, if that is the wrong way to go, what must we do say instead? Where does the desire to sin come from? And here is my second major point. Realize the problem is you. Realize the problem is you. It's the key thing. It's very simple. It's very obvious, but it is devastating to our pride. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. By his own desire. When we are tempted, that strong urge to do what is wrong, the tug that we feel on our hearts the powerful desire to do what God has commanded us not to do, it it comes from within ourselves. Indeed, we can go a little bit further and say the desire to do something which is not natural according to our creation, which is against what we are supposed to be, but it comes, despite that, from within ourselves. For what James is saying is that inside our hearts and minds is is not an innocent pool of clear goodness, which in our foolishness we all love to believe about ourselves. No, rather it is a stinking and stagnant pond which throws up all sorts of urges which are set against both God and ourselves. Temptation is about being lured and enticed by yourself. Who is responsible? for the fact that I want to do evil? And the answer is, I am. I cannot blame anyone else. Watching a uh, nature program on television a while ago, um, I uh, came across uh, the case um, of uh, something called a zombie snail worm. Now, this isn't some kind of cheap movie that's on late at night. Uh, this is a real thing. Um, uh, that there is a, uh, there's a t- type of parasite um, whose life cycle is that, that it infects snails and gets inside them, and, uh, and then it somehow or other, it takes control of the snail's desires. So the thing the snail now wants to do more than anything else is to climb, slowly I presume, to the very top of a tree and sit at the top of the tree and wave its antennae around madly so that it gets seen by passing birds who come down and eat it. Now, uh, this, uh, this is true, believe me, you can Google it. Google zombie snail worms, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, and, uh, and then the idea is when the bird eats the, uh, eats the snail, then the parasite's able to go on with its life cycle inside the bird. Um, well, th- that's uh, kind of a bit weird and freakish, but I think it illustrates something about of the, of the idea that James is trying to get across here. That there is something inside us which shouldn't be there, but is there, that drives us to do something that is fundamentally self-destructive. Our experience of temptation is the fruit of a divided heart in which one part of us is bent on the destruction of the other part. And it is very, very successful. Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is what is going on in temptation. 
The sin that lurks inside us is luring and enticing us, our own desire. Now, I think that there's two questions of clarification about this that I'm guessing will be in some of our minds. So let me, uh, let me address those. Here's the first, which is, isn't it the devil who tempts us? And of course, you are quite right to, uh, to raise that question. The devil does indeed tempt. And he's, uh, he, he, we see him doing that numerous times in the Bible. Um, and uh, it is not wrong to say the devil tempts us. Nevertheless, we can never blame the devil for the fact that we want to sin. The devil does not have the power to change the desires of our hearts. He can tell lies, and he does so all the time. But the desire to do what he says comes from ourselves. We can never sin and say it was the devil's fault. That is, of course, exactly what uh, the man and woman did in the Garden of Eden. The man blamed the woman, and the woman blamed uh, the serpent. But such blame is not applicable. The devil may tell lies, but it's us who does the luring and enticing to ourselves. Uh, The second question, which is a very good one, is to say, but Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. That's a quote from the book of Hebrews. So does that mean Jesus was lured and enticed by his own desire? And the answer to that was no, absolutely not. Jesus was indeed tempted, tempted by the devil indeed. But Jesus's temptations were temptations that remained purely outside of him. And whereas when we are tempted by things outside us, then the sinful part of our hearts takes hold of those things and lures and entices us to go with them. That was not true of Jesus. Jesus had no part of him which desired to sin. He did not have to resist his own evil desires because he had no evil desires. And therefore Jesus remains entirely righteous entirely without sin. But whereas for him temptation from outside never managed to gain any hold on his heart, for us it is not so. The sin that lurks inside us takes hold of whatever the things outside us are, whatever opportunities it has, and uses us to lure and entice us to do evil. So then, the problem of temptation is within us. Now, this is... This is devastating to us, isn't it, in one sense? It is devastating to our pride. My heart is my problem. Stop assuming, says James, that you are basically good and your sins and problems can be blamed on someone else. No, they can't. This is the key to understanding what is going on with, for example, our sex drives. We're all very different. But we can be confident that in none of us are they what they should be. That's why Christianity has no room for defining people according to those drives and feelings as if if they've determined who we are, as if they described who we really are. No, they must be resisted and denied if they're not going to bring us to sin and death. That's why chastity 
faithfulness within marriage, abstinence outside of it is essential for Christians, but it's the key to understanding all the other temptations we face as well. Don't blame God. The problem lies within you. And that is the key to James's whole point here, which is that temptation can have a very good outcome. It can have a very good outcome because it is the testing of our faith, verse 3, which, if we are steadfast, will enable the divided, sinful parts of our hearts to be overcome. 20 years ago, I spent a year at Westminster Seminary, just up the road. We were privileged to make friends with a family who came from Montana, and we went to, went to visit them at the end of our year. It's the furthest west I've been in my life, more or less. And um, they had a hilarious story to tell of discovering uh, one day that a rock chuck had made a nest in their car's engine. Now, I had no idea what a rock chuck is. Uh, apparently, they don't, they don't live over here, but it's, um, maybe you know what it is. It's some kind of marmot, I think. Um, uh, but anyway, it, but it was living under, the, uh, under the, the hood of their car, and, um, and who knows how long it might have stayed there. I think it's safe to say that large rodents and internal combustion engines don't really go together. Um, but at some point, they heard the funny noise or smelt the funny smell, and so they, they, they opened up the hood and found the uh, unwelcome fellow traveller that was living there. Uh, and the moment, you know, he discovered that he was, he was exposed, he kind of took fright, you know, took one look at them and then jumped out of the car and ran away and he was gone. And when you find yourself tempted, don't blame God, but realise there's something living inside you that shouldn't be there. It's time to pop open the hoods see it for what it is, and then, with God's help, do something about it. But then James has one more warning for us, which is this, in verse 16, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, what what, what is he referring to? What he's concerned about is that having realized there's a problem inside of us, we might still think that we can deal with it ourselves. We might still think that, okay, I know there's a problem in me, but I've got the ability to do with it. More willpower or more therapy or the right self-help book or if I boost my self-esteem appropriately or I do yoga or sport or whatever. Some of those things are good. Some of them I think are less good. But none of them have the power to deal with the sin lurking inside us. It's an awful lot easier to get rid of a rock chuck from an engine than it is to get rid of the sin that lies inside us. No, good things, good gifts only come from one place, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It is only God who has the power, uh, who has the power to uh, to, to rescue us from the desires that lure and entice us. And we have to go to him to be put right. Of course we do. We're his creation. Recently, uh, we, uh, we smashed the rearview mirror, one of the rearview mirrors of our car, uh, reversing uh, into a driveway and it got knocked off. And uh, I decided to fix it um, using my trusty roll of electrical tape um, and um, 
Uh, and did I do a good job? Well, the, of course not. The thing was smashed and broken in pieces. The only thing to do was to get the manufacturer to provide a new whole part to be reunited, put back together, to have the division and war going on inside us. Put right, we must go to God. You cannot overcome temptation by willpower. No, we must ask him for help. And gloriously, he most certainly will give it. This then is the final thing we need to see. What do we need to do? We need to repent, ask God for help, and stand firm. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Well, how do we do this? When you feel the pull of temptation, don't blame God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can fix it. Realize what it reveals about your hearts And then go to God and repent. Ask for forgiveness and wholeness. What does repentance mean? The prophet Joel describes it as tearing your hearts and not your garments. Repentance isn't just about uh, kind of a surface thing on the open, uh, on the surface. It's it's about going to God and saying, Lord, not only have I done what is wrong, but far worse, I have wanted to do what is wrong. Not only was I led to sin, but far worse, it was me who led myself into sin. And I can't blame you, God, because you didn't do it. I can't even blame the devil, though he told me lies. For the one who drew me to do such sin is myself. Lord, my heart is wrong before you. What I am is an offence to you. I have no excuses. You are right and I in the depths of my being have been in the wrong. Have mercy on me, Lord. That is what Christian repentance is about. It's something that goes to the depths of our hearts and we lay ourselves open before the Lord. We say, "The Lord, the problem's all in here. Forgive me. And will he forgive? Brothers and sisters, of course he will. He is far more willing to forgive than we are to repent. He gives generously, wholly to all without reproach. He sent his perfect son in order to pay the penalty for our sins, to endure for his own righteous wrath at them. Forgiveness is the glorious truth that the pollution of our hearts, which is so offensive to God, has all been taken on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus and in him fully and completely dealt with. It is a glorious truth no matter how dark what you have found is living inside you, it is all covered over and the guilt of it washed away by the blood of our Lord Jesus. Repent, 
and then ask for his wisdom in verse 5, for his help in verse 17. We don't have the resources to deal with it. God can put it right, and so he will do beyond more than we can imagine. And so verse 18, where it says, of his own will he brought us forth by uh, the word of truth, he he describes us being uh, as if we are born again. And indeed, there's an interesting contrast to notice here that, that it's almost the reverse of what sin does. Verse 15, there's a kind of childbirth thing that sin does if we let it. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. This sort of awful process of conception, birth, and then growing up to death. But for those who come to God, humbly confessing their sins and tearing their hearts before him, asking for his mercy, exactly the opposite happens. There's a birth here as well, but now it is a birth by the power of the Holy Spirit to make us into new people. The we may no longer be those under the control and power of our own temptations. He gives wholeness to those who come to him. A heart which by grace will want to sin less tomorrow than I have done today. It's not complete in this life. Temptation will go on as God reveals more and more of the dividedness of our hearts, but it is real And God will change us. Sinful desires, I think, are a little bit like weeds in a garden. We have a kind of weed. I don't know whether you have it on this side of the Atlantic. They're called mare's tails. And if you have them in your garden, they are an absolute nightmare because they grow deep under the ground and they just keep on coming back. But the books say the only thing you can do if you have these things is to go out every week and pull them up. And you'll never, you won't get the roots out because they're far too deep under the ground. But if you pull them up every week, then next week they'll be a tiny bit weaker than this week. And you pull them up again, and the next week they'll be a tiny bit weaker after that. And the effect of temptation, if we will let God use it, is to enable us to see the weeds of our heart for what they are, and therefore to stand firm, resisting them, pulling up the desires of our hearts this week so that by God's grace, as we stand firm, we will be a little bit more finished and complete today than I was yesterday and tomorrow than I am today. Therefore, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The temptations of our heart are indeed caused to mourn before the Lord's but they are also cause to rejoice. For if we deal with them as we should, if we blame ourselves instead of God, if we ask for his mercy and for his help, then we will stand firm, steadfast. And when steadfastness has its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let us respond to our temptations as God calls and make us a kind of first fruits of his creatures. May God make it so. Shall we pray to our Lord? God our Father, we do confess before you that we have 
frequently blamed you for what is actually the darkness and dividedness of our own hearts. That we have resented you for our situations, we have blamed you for our feelings, and worst of all, we have claimed your blessing for things that you yourself have said are evil. And Father, we ask for your mercy. And we pray, Father God, that you will will, uh, look upon us and shower us with your grace. Forgive us for our sins, of our actions, of our thoughts and our words. And forgive us most deeply of all for the desires that have lured and enticed us away from you. And Father, we pray that you will not only forgive us, but by your Holy Spirit, enable us to stand firm. Grant us the wisdom that we need. Grant us the power to say no to our evil desires. Grant us, we pray, that we will instead, by the power of the Spirit, grow in love for you, So that as we love you more and more, we may be able to resist sin more and more. And we ask that by your spirits and by the power of the blood of Christ, you would shape us to be people who are wholehearted in our love for you. And may the day come soon when our Lord Jesus returns. And we are transformed and we stand forever in your presence as those whose hearts will be forever wholly devoted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.